You know, as you listen to that, maybe there's somebody in mind for you that you wish they would talk to you. Or maybe you wish that you wish they would talk to you, but you don't really wish they would talk to you because every time you guys talk, it seems like you end up button heads. Somebody starts pushing somebody's buttons, the tension comes out, and then you just wish you hadn't bothered at all. So maybe that's just me, but maybe you've been there. So I think there's something that, especially as we think about siblings, you're like, everybody knows, if you've got brothers, you've got sisters, kids fight, right? Like, when you're growing up, it can be the most fun in the world, but also the biggest fights in the world with your siblings. And then when you grow up, like, you don't have to be around them anymore. <laughs> and some of you probably are thinking, write that down, Horizon says I don't have to be around my siblings. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But what if we could be? Because some of you, I've, I've heard your stories even as you go on through life and now you're trying to take care of aging parents and you have difficult decisions to make that involve siblings that maybe the relationship hasn't been as strong as you would like it to be. Well, if we're going to lean into some of those things, whatever stage of that you might be at, first there's one thing that we've got to own and this is going to help you for the whole series. The truth is, I can't control the people who push my buttons. And I know that you know that, but we have to remember that. Like, I probably can't stop them from doing those things that bug me. But I can control how I react when they do. I can control how I react to it. How do I respond differently? And so as we listen in, like a fly on the wall in Jesus' family, we're going to pick up in one of the biographies of Jesus, a book by a man named John, where he has this story that Jesus' own brothers come and essentially start picking on him. So let's listen like a fly on the wall to see how Jesus chooses to respond instead of react. This is what it says. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So just so you know what that is, tabernacle is a big fancy word for tent. So basically, like every September, October, depending where it falls on the Jewish calendar, they would leave their houses and all of their stuff and basically put a tent out in the front yard by the road and go and live in these tents for a week. And the idea was that living in a tent suddenly reminds you how much you had in the house. And it's really a big celebration of, of thankfulness, of how much God had blessed them with, how much God had given them, how, how good things were, that being in the tent just kind of reminds them of everything that was missing. So this is a big celebration for the entire Jewish community that Jesus and his brothers were a part of. So the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. So if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And here's the key, for even his brothers did not believe in him. All right, so whatever this conversation is, the indication is that that's, that's your signal that his brothers don't believe in him. So we'll dig into that, but first, I wonder, did you realize that Jesus has brothers? Like, sometimes we don't pick up on this because we're so used to thinking about Jesus, you know, Savior, and there's Good Friday, and there's Easter, and hey, Jesus had a family. It wasn't just Mother Mary and baby Jesus for his whole life. In fact, sometimes we think that uh, Mary had no other kids because it says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Right? That's one of the miracles the Bible talks about, 
But it never says that Mary stayed a virgin. And in fact, right here within the New Testament, it doesn't give their names in this passage, but in other passages it says that his brothers are named James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not that Judas. (laughs) Different Judas. And it also says, and his sisters. So sisters is plural. That means there's at least two and there's at least four brothers. That means Jesus had at least six siblings. What would essentially be half brothers and half sisters because they would have Mary as their mom, Joseph as their dad, where Jesus had Mary as his mom and God's Holy Spirit that had made that miracle happen. So Jesus actually has siblings to deal with. Okay, so if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is God, if he is perfect, if he is the only one who's ever lived the perfect life, and he had siblings. So he actually knows how to handle this. That's really good. I want to listen in on that because that seems like one of the easy pitfalls. Like he must have had a fight with them growing up, right? Like he must have been flinging peas at him at least once, didn't he? And, and that's part of what I think some of the tension you're probably feeling here is. I mean, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? Can you imagine sitting at the table and maybe, uh, maybe Joseph is across from you and Mary's sitting here and your brothers and sisters are around the table and peas go flying across the table? You can never say it was Jesus. You got to pick somebody else, right? Or, or if you have a fight out in the backyard with Jesus, you come inside and say, Mom! Which is Mary. Jesus hit me. I mean, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking either. Like if he's God and he's perfect, which the Bible, that's part of it, the claim. Then either, no, he didn't, or he had a good reason. (laughs) Right? Like you're just not going to win that one because Jesus. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Why can't you be perfect like your brother? Like, you know how I feel about Jesus if I grow up in his house, if I'm his sister, if I'm his brother? Okay, so now they're adults. Like Jesus at least is in his 30s, so depending on when these brothers were born, because Jesus was the oldest, they're probably in their 20s or 30s. And so they're basically picking on him and saying, if you think you're so great, oh, you're the miracle man, you're the savior, you're here to deliver us from Rome, because guess what, bro, we got problems. Well, if you think your miracles are so great, if you think you're such a big deal, show yourself to the world, right? And so essentially when they say, hey, you know where you ought to go? You ought to go to Judea. Because you know what's in Judea? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish world. Everything about their politics, everything about their religion takes place in Jerusalem and centered around the temple. So this is a recreation. This is actually in Jerusalem, but it's a recreation of what the temple would have looked like in that day because the temple is not standing anymore. But they're basically saying, why are you hanging around in Podunk, Galilee? If you're such a big deal, go to Jerusalem and prove it. See what King Herod thinks about you. Have you met Pontius Pilate yet? See what he thinks. See if he's impressed by you after he's met Caesar. Why don't you go show yourself to the world if you are such a big deal? Okay, now, if that's you, how do you react? But here's the first thing that Jesus does that I think helps us. Respond instead of react. Know in advance what buttons your family like to push. You probably do, don't you? If I gave you a blank piece of paper and a pen and five minutes, you could probably list each of your family members 
and the things they do that drive you nuts and then like circle the ones that you know they're doing it on purpose, (laughs) right? But honestly, that's part of what helps. That if I can think ahead about what's going to happen in that situation, like honestly, I do this kind of thing. When we go um, back to see family for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, it's like, dear God, (laughs) so you talk about self-control, you say you want to give me self-control, so can I just mention a couple of things about a couple of family members that I know they got me last time? Would you help me, like if that happens again, just to have more patience, just to walk away, just to offer to help? Um, If you know what's coming, then you can prepare for that. Because essentially what Jesus and his brothers have going on here is like classic sibling rivalry. So think about if you've got a brother or sister growing up. I know when I was growing up, I, I have an older sister and a younger brother. And my sister is sweet and kind and everybody's best friend. It seems like no rivalry with my sister, lots of rivalry with my younger brother. And as I look back, I realize, you know, he's, he's like about two and a half years younger than me. So if he's five, I'm eight. If he's eight, I'm 11. If he's 11, I'm 14. Like I was always like one full cycle kind of ahead of him. And so growing up, like I have to admit, like if we were playing basketball in the backyard, hey, Sean, you want to play basketball? And okay, I never, ever let him win ever. And man, I think back on that, like, what was going on inside me that I could never let Sean win one game of basketball? And I think there was probably something that's like, I mean, I'm competitive. I want to win. But I almost wonder if it was a little bit of like insecurity in me. You know, I feel this need to prove myself. I like to win. I have to win. I don't want to lose. And Like, I'm 14 and he's still 11. Like, I can win if I want to. That's an easy place to try to prove myself, you know, to try to overcome my own insecurity. I imagine that's probably part of what is feeding into Jesus' brothers in this moment. You know, they've been hearing their whole lives, maybe unintentionally. I mean, we don't have direct quotes from Mary, but like, he's traveling the countryside now. He's in towns where they grew up. He's talking to people they know, their friends probably their boss, people that work for them, and declaring this message that he's the Savior. They've been hearing their whole lives, your brother is better than you. Like, that's got to affect you somehow. And so I think it's interesting to try to lean into this passage because we have the reality that Jesus, because he is God, like, he is the perfect brother, like we know he has made no mistakes. He has never done what the Bible calls sin. He's never done anything to hurt another person or to hurt God. He's never broken God's perfect standard. So like that's true about him. And yet he still feels this tension. If I'm honest, when I go into family relationships that feel hurtful, where I feel like somebody else is like 98% of the problem, I still have to own my 2%. And once I start to own my 2%, like once I'm willing to make like be a big boy, go apologize for my 2%, I usually have to also admit I was probably more than 2%, right? Like Jesus has none of that, and yet still we see how he's trying to navigate these relationships. And so look at what happens next. Look at how Jesus responds to this in the next verse. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. 
Doesn't it almost sound like he's having a different conversation? <laughs> like, instead of just saying, I'm not going to Jerusalem, he says, my time has not yet come. So if you can remember, like, seven days ago, right here in this room, we celebrated Easter. There is a time in Jesus' life that it's absolutely critical for him to be in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is where he was crucified. Jerusalem is where he was put on trial and both the king and Pontius Pilate said, we can't find anything wrong with this guy, certainly not deserving of death. And he was put to death anyway. And Jerusalem is the place where he would rise from the dead. Jerusalem is the place that the message would begin to spread to the rest of the world. And yet here, when they say, then go to Jerusalem, he says, it's not my time yet. See, he has a complete confidence in who he is, why he's here, and in God's timing. Sometimes, sort of unrelated to what we're saying, but sometimes something is in God's plan, but it's not in God's timing yet. And Jesus understood that. And so when he says, like, hey, like, essentially saying, the world's not even ready to receive me because I first have to tell them that a lot of the stuff they do is evil. So how would you all feel about me if I said, good morning, welcome to Horizon, we are yours to explore. I can't wait to help you all understand how evil you are. Okay? And we'll just, maybe one at a time, I'll just have you come and sit in the chair and you can admit some of your evil things to all of us. Like, I don't know about this Jesus guy. Go back to what was the thing about God so loved the world, right? Well, that's part of it. He's saying that the world doesn't even realize, we don't even realize some of what is broken about us. We're so used to it from our culture. We're so used to it from our habits, from our bad patterns. God is saying part of what I'm teaching is that these things are broken, that there's stuff that needs to be fixed. That is why he is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to die to pay the penalty for all that stuff and rise again so that he can give us life, so that he can fix what's broken. But it's not time yet. So you see what Jesus is doing is it's almost like he doesn't even react at first to what they say. He chooses instead to respond out of his own security in who God has made him to be. That's helpful for us. That we respond instead of reacting by replacing areas of insecurity with areas of security. See, button pushing almost always ends up tapping into some insecurity that we have. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes we recognize it, sometimes we don't. And it's not always like the obvious insecurity of, you know, I feel weak or I feel like I'm not good enough or whatever. Sometimes it's that need for control. You know, when we begin to push buttons, because then I get the reaction out of you that I want and I'm back in control of the situation. You know, I recognize this in my own family when I say things like, well, don't you think that's not the right way to handle it? Well, clearly the argument they're making is that it is the right way to handle it, and I'm trying to undermine a little something here. Like, well, maybe if you actually thought about this, don't you think I'm right? And we start to push, we start to push, we start to cause tension. It's one of the hardest things about communication, because especially once the blood pressure starts to rise, you hope nobody can see it, but your face feels a little red, and you're still trying to self-control, because you could go to here. You're just going to go to, like, here? <laughs> Poke poke and see what happens next. You see, Jesus finds the response to that in his own security because as they are poking and prodding and pushing, like if you're standing that there, there that day and you're listening in, 
He doesn't fight back. He declares where his security is and that it is not in what people think about him. It's not in, even in what his family thinks about him. It's not in what his brothers think he should do. It's in what God thinks about him. In fact, a little bit later in this same passage, you, you jump down to verse 18, and this is what Jesus says, that he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So again, help me unpack what you're saying here, Jesus. Because it's, it's, there's a little bit of mystery to this, but essentially what he's saying is, if I was out here proclaiming that I'm the best, right, I speak for myself, I'm seeking my own glory, then maybe I would just run to Jerusalem right now. Hey, everybody, it's me, Jesus, clap for me. I'll do you a miracle. You see, who wants to see a miracle? But we don't see him do that. Instead, he says that he's actually seeking the glory of the one who sent him. You see that his mission is all connected back to his heavenly father. Not his earthly father, not his earthly mother, not his earthly siblings, but to his heavenly father. That's where his security comes from. And that no matter what else somebody throws at him, if he can stop and in his own heart he knows what I'm doing today, what I'm thinking right now, who I am is for God's glory. Then all the other button pushing just starts to roll off his back because that's what he's focused on. That's where his security comes from. I was at a conference this weekend. I don't know if you ever go to these, uh, these conferences. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy them. They're also mentally exhausting. You know, by the end of it, you've heard like 12 different sessions and you took notes on like 17 different things that'll change your life. And if I can just remember like one of these a week from now, I might be doing okay. Because they have all these breakout sessions. And sometimes, I, I don't know about you, I, like I'll go into a session because that title looked amazing. Like the three things that'll change your whole world. I'm like, oh, there's only three, okay. Like, and five minutes in, you're like, this is a complete waste of my time. I, I appreciate that you prepared for this, but this is, like, this is not, can I, can I duck out or do I just sit too far forward? Do I just have to like make it through this? <laughs> you know? So if I've ever seen you at a conference, that wasn't you. That was somebody else I was listening to. But then you find those ones where it's like you heard that guy last year and now you're just looking for, is he doing any talks this year because I'll sit and listen to that guy every time. So one of those guys for me is, is Steve Demi. And Steve is actually a career mathematician, but he's built his own business around teaching math. And he's been successful enough that like multiple generations of his family now work within his company. So he's, he's a brilliant guy, um, but I heard him last year and it's like I had to hear him again this year. And this is how good it was. He gave the same talk both times and I loved it just as much the second time. Because <laughs> I looked at this thing and his talk was called God Likes You. Hey, isn't this, I thought this was the math guy. Yeah, that's the math guy. I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. Why doesn't it say, you know, math is fun after all or something? <laughs> it says God likes you. So I went and sat in to listen to this, and, and the story was amazing. You know, he talked about how he built this company. He talked about the success that he had in school and as he was becoming this mathematician and all of the students and families like nationwide and, and leaking out globally that have been impacted by his ability to help them get through math. And I'm listening to this, I'm like, that is cool. Like, yes, I'm, you're inspiring me. I want to I do great things. And he said, so let me tell you how it all fell apart. I'm like, oh, man. And so he talked about how broken his relationship with his own kids was becoming 
and with his wife because he was pouring so much energy into the company, even as some of his adult kids were working for him and with him. And he realized that he was pouring that in because he was finding his identity primarily in his work. And so the the long and short of it is that there came a day where his wife sat him down and said, you are never going to do enough to please God by how hard you work. And you are hurting this family. So I'm like, okay. But I'm sitting in a session where he's telling this story, so it's going to get better, right? And it was incredible to just hear what helped him through that season. You know, he and his wife were separated for a while, and he had to do some really deep soul searching to figure out what was it about control, what was it about his anger, you know, how he would react in situations, what was it about, you know, whatever you want to call it, workaholism, that had been impacting things for decades without him realizing it. And he, he'd been a follower of Christ, like, but I read my Bible, like, why, what, you know, what, what's not changing about me? And what he realized was, even the time that he spent reading the Bible or, or sitting at a table trying to help his kids read the Bible, it was always like homework. It was always like more things to learn about God and more things to do. He said what he finally realized is, he can't do enough for God to love him. God just loves him. And he slowly began to learn what it looked like to just sit still in the mornings and realize that God loves him. That his identity first and foremost is not in his company, it's not in his career, it's not even in his family. It's that he is God's child. He mentioned that he has a son who has special needs and that when his son introduces himself, he says, this is Pop and I'm his son. Like that that's the way he thinks about himself and that he just loves his dad unconditionally despite all these mistakes that he made. And he said that part of what he learned about God was looking at his son and realizing, I've been a jerk and my son loves me anyway. And God has perfect love. So if he can love me, maybe God can too. And what I love about that is that first and foremost, his security had to come from how God feels about him. That's one of the best things about the message of the Bible. Like so often we look at that thing and we think this is a big book of advice and a big book of rules and I got to do my best to try to follow those rules. But honestly, even the stuff that we're sharing in this series, the tips, the advice that God gives about families, they are awesome. And if God is who he says he is, then of course he knows what would work best and it will work. It is good stuff. But the main message is that God is, the the reason he's writing all this, the reason he's telling us about Jesus, the reason he gives us those ways to behave with each other is because he loves you, every one of you. When our security is found in God instead of anything else around us, then things begin to change. Because then I wake up and it's just like, well, if God loves me, then I have freedom to, to love him back and to love others today. That when people push my buttons, I can love them anyway because God loves me. When they do things wrong, when they do things hurtful, when we have confusion, hey, I've done that too. God still loved me. God helped me love them. And so what I loved about Steve's story, the reason that I've listened to it multiple times is because he finally learned what it was like to have kind of a calm confidence in God. And that started helping him have new tools to approach his relationships. And, you know, as I thought about that, I thought, really, that's it, right? It's like, 
I'm not just going to sit in a dark room by myself and feel love for the rest of my life. Like, I will spend those moments with God, but then I'm going back out into the world. I'm going back out to my kids, to my wife, to the people I work with, to my friends, to my neighbors. And so sometimes we just need to get a sense of who God is and a sense of the tools that he wants to give us to help us in those relationships. And that's why specifically for guys, this weekend, tonight and tomorrow morning, we're starting a guy's study on those kinds of tools for relationships. And it's actually going to be led by our very own Chad Hovind. And so I figure I'll let him tell you about it. Let's watch. I don't know about you, but I love fixing things. Often I'll fix the car and I'll go tell my wife kind of what happened and what I did and what I took out and what I repaired. And she's like, Chad, I don't care how it works. I just want it to work. And I think as guys, that's how we feel about marriage and family. I don't want to get into how it works or what do we need to do. I just want marriage and family to work. But often making it work requires better tools. So some tools are made for drilling. Other tools are made for remodeling. As you look at the different tools, sometimes using the same tool over and over again is producing some of the same results. So we don't need to try harder. We need to actually find some new tools with new and maybe better results. So join Horizon Men on Sunday night you're a night person, or Monday morning, either or, they're interchangeable, for four weeks, starting the week after Easter. We're going to have a lot of fun, we're going to laugh, we're going to tell stories, and we're going to get some new tools to improve yourself, your marriage, and your family. I don't know who got permission to cut Chad in half, but I thought that was hilarious every time I see it. So, and it is, it is four weeks, guys, skipping Mother's Day, because go spend time with mom, okay? But I'll tell you, honestly, like, I've seen the material... And I'm, I'm planning to be at the Sunday nights because I think this is the kind of stuff that, again, I always feel like it's just me, but then these other dads tell me it's them too. Like, this is the kind of stuff that will help so that when you wake up in the middle of the night, instead of thinking, I'm probably ruining my children, you'll start to think, what was that thing? That was a good idea. I'm going to try that in the morning. Um, so please, if you got some time, you know, come and hang out with us tonight. We'll have a good time because those, those tools are really helpful. And one of the tools that I think we see Jesus use in this passage that helps him with his brothers. You, you've probably heard this one before, but one way to respond instead of react is to set up healthy boundaries. And I want to be clear that that's not as a retaliation, right? That's not like how you stick it to somebody because you want to make sure they know, I'm not going to talk to them for six months after what they did to me, right? It's not a retaliation, but the idea is that finding those places where a healthy boundary can keep me from walking into triggers that I know are going to happen, Right? Like, I've been amazed in my own life how, like, like, you become an adult and you become more mature and you function so well in society until you go back at the holidays to that house you grew up in and your siblings are there again, and why am I acting like I did when I was 15? <laughs> Somebody help me. In fact, we've got, um, along these lines, I have uh, one family member in our extended family that we have, we have figured out that if we hang out together for two hours, we have a great time. It's like, you're having so much fun, you think, we should keep hanging out. But then we've discovered that if we hang out for six hours, oh, six hours is, is way too long. <laughs> We're not having a good time anymore. And so we've actually learned, like, there's no shame in this. Avoid the triggers, right? Instead of going for six hours, we'll just hang out for two hours, and then that way we have fun every time. Like, that's okay. Like, instead of feeling like that's weak, that actually makes us stronger. It helps us to have more fun. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus does in this passage, in fact, if you check the next couple of lines, it says, after he's told them this thing, it's not my time, he's found his security in God, he says, 
you go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. And the first time I read that, I thought, I think Jesus tricked them. <laughs> like, what? Oh, you go ahead. I'm not going yet. Okay, are they gone? All right, now we can go. Well, there actually is a little bit of that, but you notice that what he's saying is, he's, he's not saying I'm not going. He's saying I'm not going yet. You guys go ahead. It's not going to be good for you or me if I travel with you all the way to Jerusalem and you just pick at me the whole time. I'm going to keep not responding to it. You're going to get angrier and angrier. Why don't you guys go ahead? I'm not going yet. But later it says he did come up. But notice, not to prove to the world that he's every bit as great as he promised he was. No, he didn't give in to that trigger. It says he went in secret. He went to enjoy the feast, but not to show off or any of the other things that they were accusing him that they thought he was going to do. You see, there's just a little bit of a boundary there that Jesus is actually using to protect the relationship. And I know I have stories in my own family, in my own life. I know that you do too. Some of you have shared those with me where something that started as a conversation turned into a trigger. You know, something that was just a disagreement turns into not talking to each other for two weeks or six months or 25 years. But here's what I love about this story with Jesus. He never gave up on them. For whatever else was going on that had been going on since their childhood, he never gave up on them. In fact, in the book of Acts, which is like the sequel to the biographies of Jesus, like the book of Acts begins right after his death and resurrection. This is what it says in Acts chapter 1. It says, now when Jesus had spoken these things, so this is after his resurrection, not long after Easter, while the disciples watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when they had entered Jerusalem, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, asking God for things with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You realize by the beginning of Acts, Jesus' brothers that did not believe, now they believe. They are with his closest friends, with his disciples in Jerusalem praying to God because they too believe that Jesus is the Savior. Now think about that table where they're growing up again. What in the world would it take? You got siblings? How would you convince them you're God? What would they have to do to convince you? I mean, no wonder they didn't believe him, right? For whatever else was going on, I wouldn't believe him for a second. Like, Jesus, I've seen you skin your knee and I'm supposed to believe you're God. But here it is. What convinced them that Jesus really is who he says he is was the resurrection. I saw my brother die. I know where they buried him. And as you saw last week at our Easter service, now we're at the table with him again. Mom! Jesus is back! And they believed. 
You see, that's the final way that Jesus responds instead of reacting. Aim for reconciliation instead of retaliation. And I know that's hard. And I know that that probably includes swallowing a lot of pride. Maybe to be the first to initiate or the first to initiate in a long time. You know, I shared a little bit about my own brother with you. If you ever see me walking around here with a little bit less of a beard and glasses, that's not me. <laughs> that's, that's my brother. People walk up to him all the time and start telling him stuff that they need from me or about me or whatever. Um, he lives in Illinois, but we're very similar to each other. And as we got older, you realize like the gap from 11 to 14 feels big. The gap from 21 to 24, not that big. And so I hit a point in my adult life that I realized I, I just hadn't been the big brother that I wish I had been. And so it was difficult. And I had to swallow pride. But I can remember the place I was sitting in my living room when we had the conversation where I sat him down. I said, Sean, I want you to know I love you. And I'm sorry for the ways that I belittled you. I'm sorry for the ways that I didn't protect you, that I didn't defend you, that I wasn't the big brother that I wish I was. And can I tell you, that just opened up something in our relationship that has been so beautiful since then. Like the depth of the friendship that we have now because he received that. In fact, my mom shared this with me just a, a couple of weeks ago. I think I'm not going to read it to you because it's really just between me and Sean, but I had pneumonia in sixth grade and I was pretty sick. And apparently he was pretty worried about me because this is a note that my mom found that he wrote to me when I had pneumonia. And the short version is he was telling me how much he loves me. And there are a lot of varies on here. Very, 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 very much. I, I didn't know that for years. But when I came back to him and was able to say, hey, let me own my part of this because I love you. It's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. You know, maybe there's one area that you want to move from reacting to responding. Maybe there's one person you want to move from retaliation to reconciliation. Maybe there's one insecurity that you want to ask God to start to do his work to make you feel secure. And I'll remind you guys, I think you'll love the group that's happening tonight. It's always a lot of fun. And guys, I'll tell you too, I've never come back from that without at least one key takeaway that helps me in something really practical. And for the gals, although you're not invited tonight, just know we have groups going on all the time. So not everything you see makes it to the website or, you know, I'm, I'm not listing it all right now, but if you're interested in that kind of thing for women too, we have women's groups going on all the time right now. And I, I'd love to connect you with Susan or some of our other leaders. And we just had a meeting upstairs earlier this morning talking about some more women's events coming up. So don't feel too left out. Just stay tuned. And why don't we pray together right now that God would help us do these things. God, I do just thank you so much for the examples that you give us. We know that life is hard. We know we don't do it perfectly. And sometimes we get down on ourselves or other people about it. So this is just a minute. We just want to take in your grace. God, thank you that you love us in the midst of all that. God, I pray that each person here would just sense that love for them. And would you help us Lord, that we would learn to trust you for our security, that we would trust you for, 
for the forgiveness for the mistakes that we've made and for the confidence to, to reconcile and to love our families and those around us the way you've loved us. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Guys, hope to see you tonight or tomorrow morning, and we hope to see you all back next week. Thanks for coming.